Be seated. Well, man, today is a a very exciting day um, in that we are kicking off the book of Hebrews. And uh, church, it is my privilege to proclaim to you uh, that this will be our 24th book of the Bible to study together. Isn't that incredible? Um, our, our 24th uh, book of the Bible. And, and so, my name's Troy Nicholson. If you don't know me, I'm one of the teaching pastors here um, at Safe Haven. And we hope, we hope you dive in. We hope you dive in deep as we go into the book of Hebrews. We hope you're excited about it. We hope you chew it up. We hope you study ahead of time. If you have not grabbed one of our devotional guides, uh, we have a devotional guide for the book of Hebrews that you can study ahead of time, read, uh, that was composed by 15 members of the church, given devotional insight. Get one of those, read that, come prepared. Um, hope you'll come expect it. Expect it to meet Jesus and, and to, to, to be with Him and to, and to learn about Him. If you're new, I want to say just a, a moment... Real quick, before I dive in, I want to say something about the way that we teach. If you're new, we teach at Safe Haven exegetically. And that may be different to you. Uh, Today may be very different to you, the way that we're going to walk through books of the Bible. We go verse by verse, line by line, straight through books of the Bible. And and so here's the deal. You may come from a background where you're used to topical teaching, where a topic is taken and kind of talked about, whether it's finances or health or whatever. Um, And it it may be very different. Here's what I urge you, if, if this is different to you. Just try it out for three weeks. Just give it three weeks and see what the the scriptures in their context, verse by verse, can do. And then after three weeks, if if you're like, man, this is nutty, uh, then that's fine. You know, go your merry way. There's plenty of places around town that teach topically. We just ain't one of them. Uh, So, stick it in. Chew, dive in, and and let's let the word speak. And, And I pray and I hope. Uh, that after three weeks, you'll never go back to anything other than just the Scriptures, whether it's here or Safe Haven or somewhere else. Uh, so, so there's a challenge for all of us, though. Not just the guests. The challenge for all of us is this. I pray that you're going to fight the radio frequencies competing for your attention right now. There are all kinds of radio frequencies going on in the room, in your brains, competing. I urge all of us to dive in. And if we do, I believe we're going to hear the voice of God through the book of Hebrews to us. There's a couple of different types of distractions. Distraction of one I'll just call physicality. That just meaning that some of your ears, mine included, are slowly fading And we need to lean in with the good ear, right? Um, Or or maybe even turn the knob up a little bit, okay? If that's you and you have the distraction of physicality, lean in with the good ear. Press in. Fight to uh, focus on the book of Hebrews. And then number two, there's the distraction going around the room. Frequency of what's next. What's next? Uh, well, i got to go to this after this, and then we have ball practice after that, and then we've got this to get ready for for Monday, then we've got this, all this kind of stuff. You've got this what next, the ball game, the chores. Fight it. Open your Bible. Take notes. Dive in. Chew through. Focus. Lean in with everything you've got to the book of Hebrews. I'm telling you, the Lord wants to use this book in our church in great measure. And then the other one I would say is there's other people in here that you're going to have to fight the distraction of doubt. You just doubt. And, and to you, it's not really that you can't hear. It's not really that you're unfocused. It's that you just doubt, does God really even speak? Does, God, is he, does he even say anything? Fight that. And if that's you, I would say a couple of things. Number one, I would say this. If God doesn't speak, then why are you even here? Why are we even here? If he doesn't speak, then man, we should just go live it up. Move on and do our thing, okay? And that is a great segue. And that may sound like an odd introduction, but it's not. Because that is the context of this book and the passage today. The context of the passage today is, does God speak? So man, if that's you and you fight the doubt of, does he speak? I'm glad you're here. The text today is for you. It's, it's easy to be a Christian when it's hip and cool and novel. 
And that's exactly what was going on in the context of these first century Christians. It was cool, it was hip, it was novel to be a Christian. This book was written probably about 60 to 70 AD, meaning it was only 30 years after Christ. And so it was still fresh, it was still new, the the lights were still flashing, if you will. Everybody wanted to be a part. But after generation began to kind of wane, um, they began contemplating... Well, a few people are leaving the stadium over here. A few people are leaving the stadium over here. Maybe we should just leave the stadium too. And the book of Hebrews is the context is don't leave the stadium. He's here. He's speaking. Don't leave. And so if you're a doubter, contemplate the words of Hebrews. And maybe, just maybe, God will open up your ears to hear Him brand new. Or maybe a fresh and anew for some of us. And then number two. I would say this, if he does speak, if he does speak, the question would be, what does he sound like? What is he saying? Let's press in, despite persecution or any trouble you may be facing, to hear the voice that does want to speak. And that is not the context of the book, but is the exact content of the book. How God speaks. Context, does he speak? Should we leave the faith? Content, he does speak. And here's how you can hear him speak. It's going to be a good book, church. It's going to be so good. So you may have the question, okay, well, Troy, what does he sound like? Does he sound like a orca? Kind of bellowing (laughs) these these magical noises. Is, Is that what he sounds like? Or maybe somebody's not thinking that. Maybe you're thinking, okay, does... Does he speak a certain language? Like, does he speak American? Does he speak Hebrew? Does he speak Chinese? Does he speak Australian? I mean, that'd be cool and all, right? What does he speak? Maybe you're wondering that. And then maybe you're thinking this, okay, I don't care about all that. I just want to know, does he speak clearly? Does he speak distinctly? Does he speak regardless of whether it's a billowing, bellowing, I guess would be a better word, bellowing orca or in Chinese or Hebrew or whatever. Can I understand what he's saying, Troy? I think the book of Hebrews is going to say that. As a matter of fact, today's opening verses serve to not only answer that question, but also to launch the entire book of Hebrews. So, with perhaps, I would argue, the most majestic opening three verses of any book in the Bible. That may be for debate. Some of you may go, Troy, now we went through Colossians and that was pretty stellar. And there is lofty language in Colossians, no doubt about it. But I'm telling you, these first three verses, as John Stott said, are pregnant. Every word is pregnant with meaning. It's so rich and so good. And so, are you ready, church? That was the introduction. All right, if you're ready, let's stand in honor of God's Word and read the first three verses together. It'll be on the screen above. Now, as you read these words, don't just lob them in the air. I mean, everything you've got, focus on God's Word and let it saturate your soul. Let it speak. Lord, speak through your Word beyond the voice of mortal men and women. Here we go. Hebrews 1.1. Long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And after making purification for sins... He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Amen. Amen. Americans speak American. Chinese speak Chinese. Australians, as we've already noted, just speak cool. And God speaks Christ. His language is language of son. 
That's going to be so good. And every verse of Hebrews is going to show us that over and over and over. That the voice of God is a superior voice to any other voice. And it is the voice of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Before you sit down. Because like right now you're wondering, do I sit down? Do I stand? What are we doing? I know last week we got up and down a bunch of times. Troy, are we doing that again? My thighs still hurt. Okay. Hang on. Let me give you the 10,000 foot overview. There it is. This is the book of Hebrews. If you're a picture taker and you want to snap a photo, we'll give you 10 seconds to get that real fast. This is the entire book, the the 10,000 foot view. It's going to kick off by saying God does speak and the way He speaks is Son. It's Christ. We're going to flesh that out today. Chapters 1 and 2, he's going to say this son is superior to angels in the law. 3 and 4, he's superior to Moses in the land. All of you who went through Exodus with us, that's why this book is going to make so much sense to you. Because you just... I mean, we just spent a year focusing on Moses and the land. And now in two chapters, Hebrews is going to go, oh, none of that's important. (laughs) So congratulations on spending a year of your life. (laughs) Right? And then 5 and 7 is going to say he's more supreme than Melchizedek. Still remember Tyler's message from that. Uh, Chapter 8 and 9, more supreme than temples and sacrifices. And then 11 through 13 is going to wrap it up saying, faithful prophets do hear God's voice. It is the Son. They're going to follow Him. It's going to give us this list of people who did this. And then he's going to say, so just run the race. Don't leave the stadium, even if everybody else is. That's fun, church. That's fun. That's going to be the book unpacked. Before us, let's pray, and then let's dive into God's Word. God, we can't. It doesn't matter if we put up banners on a wall. It doesn't matter if we change out a sign out front. It doesn't doesn't matter if we have handouts. Like None of that matters if your radiance through your Word doesn't pop off the page and into our hearts, then everything we've done is in vain. By your Spirit, show believers in this room that they're they're secure in Christ. Fill them to the fullness of, of, of Christ being far more than just a buzzword we slap on the end of a statement. And if there's an unbeliever in this room, Lord, that you would rapture their heart to see Christ for who He is and that you would overcome their resistance... And Lord, draw them to Yourself. Awaken them unto salvation. Both for joy now and joy forevermore. Lord Jesus, as has already been prayed, do the work that only You can do. And Jesus, it is in Your name we pray. And God's church said, Amen. Amen. Be seated. Well, the Bible's told us that everything is about Christ in, in many different ways. I'm going to read some of these things. And I assume, if you're like me, a lot of times you hear these phrases, and it's, it's hearing the phrases, but not listening to the phrase. You've heard, these, you've, you've heard these things as you read through, right? That something is through Christ, or something is in Christ, or something is under Christ, or something is to Christ, or something is with Christ or something is for Christ, or something is like Christ. You've heard these phrases, right? The Bible's chalked full of these prepositions. Everything is through Christ, to Christ, under Christ, for Christ, something about that, or like Christ. But I think oftentimes those phrases, we hear them and kind of gloss over them, almost like a mom coming into the room going, I need you to clean your room, mow the lawn, and for the love of all that's holy, brush your teeth. And and we hear that, and it's audible tones, but as soon as mom walks out of the room, you just kind of drift off back to whatever you were doing. And I think a lot of times we hear those prepositions, and we don't catch what they're saying. It's just kind of audible tones, and then we just kind of through to, and kind of walk away. Okay, So that's hearing. But today, these verses are totally distinct, and then it's not hearing about Christ, but It's more full and it it compels us to listen to this that everything really is all about Christ or listen with intent. God speaks in Son. This this word that we just read, that we're going to flesh out. In other words, what he's saying is the entirety of Christianity is 
Christocentric. Everything about us is Christ, Christ, Christ. He's the sum of all things, our thoughts, our actions. He's our singular focus. And so in contrast to mom coming in and saying, okay, I need you to do these things, then walk out of the room and we forget, it's your mom walking into the room and saying this with tears in her eyes, hypothetically. Troy, I have worked so hard this week. I'm exhausted. I provide for you guys. I wake up, I do this, I head off, and I love you so much, and I am begging you, would you please just help me clean your room? And at that moment, I go, yes, ma'am, I will do anything you want. As a matter of fact, I will brush my teeth. I'll brush your teeth. I'll brush my sister's teeth. I'll brush every tooth in this neighborhood. I will brush everyone's teeth. What do you want me to do? And that moment is, is distinct and it's different. And it's not just hearing. I actually listen. And those words compel me to do something. That's the difference in Hebrews 1. It's not just hearing through, to, for, under, like, whatever. It's, it's the sun, man. It's more full, and we listen this, and, and we'll feel this, and it'll move us not to drift away, but I believe if we understand it, it'll move our hearts. And not only our hearts, but it'll move our hands to actions for Christ in all things. And let me say these three things, and then we're going to chew through the verses, okay? You said, Troy, now you've already had an introduction. You only get one. Well, this is introduction B, okay? Um, I pulled these from John Stott, who I referenced before. I just think they're so good. If God has spoken clearly through Son, if that's His language, then three things are true. Number one, then our only uniqueness as Christians really is the language of Christ. Here's what I mean by that. Some of you guys in this room grew up hearing that the uniqueness of Christianity was... You don't drink, smoke, have sex, cuss, or dance. Does that about sum it up for everybody in this room that grew up? I won't name certain denominations, right? Okay. And all the Presbyterians in this room is like, I didn't hear nothing about drinking. Okay. So where does this come from? But you get what I'm saying. We've heard that the uniqueness of Christianity is that you don't do these things. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And if this is true, our only uniqueness is just that we are exclusively Christocentric. So emphatically, our uniqueness is not a set of morals. It's not a set of principles. Buddhism has morals and principles. The Muslims have more principles than we ever dreamt of having. Right? Our uniqueness is that we're secure in Christ. He's our exclusive, intolerant center and hub around which everything else revolves. That's the point. If God speaks through the language of Son, only Son. Right? And then number two. If God's language is Son, then our theology as Christians is the theology of Christ. Many proclaim that Christ was a good man. Buddhism has no problem proclaiming that Christ was a good man. Many claim that Christ was a great prophet. Muslims have no problem proclaiming that Christ is a great prophet. As a matter of fact, when they speak His name, uh, they will say, Blessed is He, and I can't remember the rest of the phrase. Some of you guys who've studied world religions know that better than I do. And, and, And they'll honor these things, right? But here's the deal. If God's language is Son then our theology is Christ is God divine. He's the incarnate one. He's different than all of these other things. And the author of Hebrews is going to scream this over and over and over. And he's going to say he is the very breath, the the theotnustos, the, the, the wind out of God Almighty. That's who Christ is. He's different, church. I hope you're grasping that all the way already. And then number three, if God's language is son, then the goal of our lives, families, everything, efforts is to grow in the knowledge of Christ. If the language of God is son, then he's our chief end of all things. He's why we work. He's why we play. 
He's why we have families. He's why we mow the grass. He's why we take care of our kitty cats. He is, he's, he's, he is the end of all things. He's the chief end of man as the confession leads us to. And until we reach that point, the point at which it's inconceivable to know anything other than Christ, until we reach that point, we never will understand the fullness of what God is saying here. Kind of unpack that. It's almost like me and Julie Beth when we were dating. We dated for quite a long time. Some of you guys in this room, I'm sure, have us beat, but we dated for seven years. Um, all seven years, and my mother-in-law is in here, so I can say this aloud and not embarrass her, but um, for all seven, well, it was about six years and 11 months, she kept telling Julie Beth, don't do this. <laughs> There's got to be a better way. Right? Are you sure? Are you sure? But then on that seventh year, she was like, all right, had nothing I can do about it. Well, let's roll with it. <laughs> right? No, that's true. It took five and a half years. Um, but, but there was a point at which we dated. It was fun. But then there came that unique moment to where something happened, and I was like, I can't imagine life without Julie Beth. I cannot imagine what it would be like to not have her as a part of my life. And at that moment is the moment that I went to my dad and was like, how do you buy a ring? <laughs> like, how do you afford these things? Right. And when it switched in my mind then, we took that next step. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, listen, there's a point at which you come to understand the Son that you can't fathom what anything else in life would be like other than just to have Him. And you'll sell out everything you've got just for Him. Your theology, your uniqueness, your life, your goals, your parenting, your marriage. Everything will be to Him, for Him, through Him, unto Him, like Him. Do you get what the author of Hebrews is saying? And that's what the book, I think, if God is gracious to us, will push us to. Well, may the Lord speak to us through His words. I'm so glad that we're out of narrative now. Narrative is really hard to preach through. Um, Some people do it great. We stumbled around and we made it through. And by the Holy Spirit, He he spoke. But now, church, we are no longer in narrative. And we're about to light this screen up with all kind of graphics now. So here we go. Let's have fun with the book of Hebrews. I kind of busted it open for you, and we're going to walk through these words. Let's hear the words of the Lord for us. We're going to see several things. This will not pop on the screen all at once. We'll pop it up as we walk through. But we're going to see the when of God's voice, the grace of God's voice, the means of God's voice, the dialect of God's voice, and the message of God's voice. As the author of Hebrews, which I don't think I said this ahead of time, nobody knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. So we'll just refer to him or her as the author of Hebrews. Um, But with that said, we're going to unpack exactly what God through His Spirit has given to us in this text. Let's look at the when. The when of God's voice. It'll pop up on the screen. You'll see that long ago, the when. From the dawn of time all the way to the time split of A.D. and B.C. The B.C. and A.D. The before Christ and the Anno Domini or the year of the Lord. All the way through, a long time, through a long ages, um, whether your theology of creation allows for a young earth that's only 10,000 years old, or whether you maybe hold to one of the gaps as we walk through in Genesis 1, to where it could be a million years old and, and all these kind of things. It doesn't matter what you hold to there. For a long time, we hear the, the when of God's voice. God has always been speaking through creation all the way up to this day. God's voice has been there. Now let's see, look at the grace of God's voice. The wind was all the time. The grace of God's voice is just that. God spoke. Have you ever contemplated the fact that God speaking in and of itself is absolute grace? He doesn't have to speak to us. We don't deserve to hear from Him. But yet the fact that He just speaks is grace in and of itself. And the cool part of that is God speaking shows that God's not a concept. God's not an idea. He's not a thought. He's a person. Ideas and concepts don't speak. People 
speak. And our God speaks. And so, God speaks His voice. And in essence, speech could be defined as something along these lines. Um, The outward defining of secret thoughts. And God, as He speaks, is communicating to us outwardly these inward thoughts that He has. And so, contrast that with everything we've studied in Genesis and Exodus. Remember all the idols? How many times idolatry came up? That's why idolatry is so offensive to the Lord. Idols have mouths, but they cannot speak, right? They're just, as so many times in the Psalms, they're called these dumb idols. Well, they are dumb. Dumb in the, in the sense of they're just mute, and some of them, quite literally, are just dumb. But nonetheless, they don't speak. And, and so the beauty of the grace of this is our God is a God who speaks And he was fully content in and of himself in creation past. He didn't need us. He just chose to want us out of love. To display his great love. He wanted to reveal himself. And so he decided to take, I guess we could say, our ignorance and replace it with revelation. That's grace. That's grace. It's grace that He took that ignorance and and moved it to the point where we can be enlightened to understand Him. It's called, in the Bible, it's just simply called revelation. God has revealed Himself. He's spoken definitively to us. God spoke. We see the when. We see the grace of God's voice. Now let's look at the means of God's voice as the writer gives us. He's spoken in many times and many ways. Think for yourselves all the time in the Bible that God has spoken and all the different various means by which He's spoken. I think you'll come up with some of these. He's spoken in dreams. He's spoken in scientific, baffling miracles. Stop the earth from rotating, or as uh, the writer wrote, stop the sun from moving. Walking on water, these scientific anomalies, he spoke through these things. He spoke many times, well, one time, I shouldn't have said many, scratch that, rewind it, one time, through a witch, the witch of Endor. He spoke through the witch, he spoke through a donkey. You'll remember Balaam's donkey, right? He spoke through a donkey, he spoke through creation, he spoke through the law, And so you've got God, this majestic creator, and then God, this lawgiver, and then you move on into the Psalms. And you hear this God speaking of these emotions that He's got. You you hear all of these various different ways. And then the text says, not only that, but He also spoke through the prophets. And so the prophets would have been these chosen people who were quite literally funnels for God's message. God loves us enough to have always been speaking through His voice and casting His voice through these various means. And I will admit up front that all of those things that we just mentioned can be very mystical and people get drunk on mysticism these days. Absolutely drunk on all things mystical. Which is why all of the things that I just mentioned are pretty cool in our minds. We're like, ooh. I'd like to have a dream. I'd like to see a miracle. I'd like to have a donkey talk to me. (laughs) There you go. I just spoke to you and I am a donkey. That's a whole other thing for another day. Um, I'd love to see a witch speak if the Bible didn't command that I should be slaughtered after that. But I'd love to see all these mystical things, right? We we want those things, okay? We're, We're drunk with that. And it, it's curious to me that people say things like this. I'm trying to make this decision. Man, I need a word from the Lord. I'm trying to make this decision and, and I'm waiting on my heavenly sign. I, I, I need this and, and I'm just praying that God will come down in a dream. Right? Well, the thing I never hear anybody saying, I need to hear from the Lord so I'm going to go sit on Rose Boulevard in that pasture and talk to that donkey. <laughs> like even mystics have limits to how mystical they'll go, right? And I'm curious to all that because in this text, what God is saying is, I speak and I speak 
clearly through my son. I've given you all that you need for life and godliness through the voice of my son. Why are you so drunk on mysticism when I've given you what is majestic in my son? Maybe don't chase the Ouija board (laughs) and maybe chase the page after page of the text holy divine that I've given you through the word. Chase the son and you'll find your answer. And so the problem with mysticism is it leaves all of the non-mystics in the room wondering, whoa, 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 whoa. If if I got to hear a word from the Lord and I got to have a dream and all this kind of stuff, I don't hear Him that way. So can I not hear Him? Or Or worse, I guess I should say, am I even a believer? Has anybody fallen into that trap? I don't understand the mysticism, so am I even in? You been there? I have. And that's the danger of this right here. Well, the Lord is going to clear all of that mess up as the verses continue. The wind of the Lord, the grace of the Lord, the means of God's voice, the dialect of God's voice. How does He speak? What does He say? In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. And you say, Troy, you keep, you keep emphasizing that. And I do think that is the emphasis of this passage. Let's kind of dive into it real fast. I think what he's saying is this. The Old Testament was partial. It was incomplete. And the New Testament is complete and specific, clearly, through the Son. John 1 says it this way. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. The Word, the Son, what we need has become flesh and dwelt among us. Revelation 22 says it this way, and because of these things no one shall add from these words or take away from these words. It's done. It's finished in the sun. And so nonetheless God is screaming something about this mystical and, and neglecting the majestic. What he's saying is this, don't don't focus on trying to enter into some bizarre meditation trance to hear from the Lord. Get in a quiet room, start rocking back and forth, light some candles, and maybe then the Lord will speak. Don't fall into that. If you want to know what the Lord's saying, study the life of Christ. He's spoken through the Son, through the Word. Don't fall into that. And don't fret over whether I'm listening to you or not. So for all the people in the room going, I pray... And I don't even know if God hears what I'm saying. I don't know if my prayers make it beyond the roof, right? I don't know if it makes it beyond 7 feet or 10 feet or if you have 12 feet. I don't know. What he's saying is don't fret about that. I am listening to you and you can hear me by studying my son, When you read and study the Son, the life of the Son, the words of the Son, dive into all that the Son is, you hear my voice, dear child. I'm listening and I speak. So, what does this mean? Do you want to know how to hear God's voice concerning suffering? Well, what did Christ say about suffering? Do you want to know what God's saying about attitudes? Well, what did Christ say about attitudes? Do you want to know what God is saying about the way that we treat poor people? What did Christ say about the way we treat poor people? Do you want to know what God is saying about successfulness? Well, what did Christ say? Do you want to know what God's saying about friendships or your family? Well, what did Christ say? Do you want to know what Christ is what God's saying about food? Well, what did Christ say? Taxes. Tax season, Troy, you should have done that. I was with you until then, brother. Right? Well, what did Christ say about taxes? Government, what did Christ say? Marriage, what did Christ say? How do I treat my kids? What did Christ say? How do I treat women? What did Christ say? How do I treat my enemies? What did Christ say? 
How do I treat love? How do I treat mission? How do I treat service? How do I treat worship? What did Christ say? And I'm convinced that there is absolutely nothing that we cannot bring to the Scriptures and not find an answer for. Everything's there. I would even argue in one verse of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 10.31, you can find the answer to any question you ever want to bring before the Lord. Whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do for the glory of God. And that is exactly how Jesus Christ lived His life. Everything I do, I do for the glory of God. We can find all of our yeses and amens in Christ. And so, the problem is not that God is silent as many proclaim. The problem is that God is crystal clear and people do not like what He has to say. That's the problem. He's spoken, church. None of us can walk out of this room going... I don't know what God's saying. Yes, you do. The question is, do you want to listen or not? And so with that said, we then move into the voice, the message of God's voice. We've moved through the wind of God's voice, the grace, the means, the dialect, and now the message of God's voice. The message is the Son, and we'll unpack this more fully. As a matter of fact, the whole book will unfurl that question before us over and over and over and over. But if all that we had was just what we have today, then we have enough. If all that we had was these three verses to understand what Christ is saying through the Son, that's all we need. Let's look at it together. And I'll try not to get happy feet and jump up and down. This is good stuff, though. Here's the message of God's voice, the Son. The Son is the heir. Be on the screen above. He owns all things and chooses to let scallywags in on his treasures. That's what you need to hear from Christ. Doesn't matter how far you've gone, how far you've strayed, you can be like the rest of us in this room a knuckle-headed scallywag. And because Christ is heir, He's not only owner of all things, but He gets to choose who He lets have His treasures. And He says, if you are in Me, then My treasure is your treasure. That's what He's saying. Not only that, the message is He's the agent of creation, as the screen will show us. We see Him walking on water in the Scriptures and we think that that's some kind of weird power flex. Like He's just trying to flex His power. But I don't think the water saw it as a power flex. I think the water saw it as a privilege to uphold the Lord that created it. I think the water molecule said, Lord, you need us to hold you up, to walk across us? We got you. They saw it as a privilege. We see Him taking somebody who's blind and performing a miracle where they could see, and we think, oh, that's miraculous, and that's God really just showing off through Christ His power. And I don't think the optic cells saw that as a power flex at all. I think the optic cells said, hey, that's our Creator, and He needs us to move around in these people's eyes, and because we worship Him as the Creator, we'll move and do whatever He says to do. I think that's what's going on in these miracles. How much more do we worship as a fallen creation who understands our Creator and is allowed to worship Him? How much more should we worship Him? Not only is He the agent of creation, but He's the radiance. The sun is the radiance of the glory of God. The Council of Nicaea, for those who study these things, said it this way, He is light upon light, or light out of, from light. Meaning this, Christ alone dispels darkness. Christ alone illuminates all truth. He's the visible presence of what can't fully be perceived. This is not complicated for us. If we walk outside, and I don't know if the sun's come out or not. I sure hope it comes out. But you walk outside and you look up at the sun, you cannot perceive what's going on in that glowing ball, can you? You can kind of look at it for just a second and then you get all speckly-eyed and then pass out and then it's no bueno, right? 
But you can't fully perceive, but yet we can understand a little bit because of the light that's cast out. And that's what we're hearing, that Jesus is light upon light. He is the radiance of God's glory. So when we look at Christ, we look at the Father and we understand everything we need to know. We can't fully perceive the Father, but we can truly perceive the Father. That's what it means that He is the radiance of God's glory. And so this is screaming to us, listen to Him. Listen to the Son. And didn't we hear that at the transfiguration? Right? They're all up on a mountain. Jesus begins to glow. Right? Peter, James, and John go, ooh, this is fun. There's light. Let's build a temple. Let's build a tabernacle. Let's build an altar. And then the voice from above goes, shut up. Listen to the Son. He's the radiance of God's glory. Not only that, He's the exact imprint of His nature, which will be on the screen. The illustration was just that of a a, a ring, a king's signet ring that had a symbol in it. And there would be wax placed on an envelope and He would stick His signet ring in there. And then that way, as He carried it along to wherever it was going, people would know this is authorized by the King Himself. And that's the beauty of who Christ is. The Father has authorized no one else except for the Son and has given Him the signet ring and the stamp of His approval. This is mine. That's who the Son is. And I love the way that John 14 says this. He who has seen me, Jesus says, has seen the the Father. Yeah. Again, John chapter 5 says it this way. Jesus says, I don't do what I want to do, I only do what I see the Father doing. Yes. He is the exact imprint. And not only that, the passage goes on to say He upholds the universe by His power. He's the sustainer and He's the preserver of all things. All things. Your heart is beating in this room right now because Jesus is sustaining it. And how many of you just felt your heartbeat going, I sure hope it beats again. <laughs> right? All of us hypochondriacs just had to take a deep breath. <laughs> right? But it's true. This is how glorious the sun is. Your pulse is pulsing because of Jesus. And the beauty of this is, if Jesus can handle a... I'm not good at math. I don't know numbers. I don't know if quadzillion is a word, but we're going to go for it. But if Jesus can handle the placement of a quadzillion stars, He can handle what you're going through. (laughs) Alright? That's the beauty of this text. And then finally, He's the purifier of sins and He's seated on high. Not only can He handle the quadzillion stars and the spinning globe... But most importantly, He can handle the eternity of your soul. That's what this text is teaching. He's the purifier of sins and He's seated on high, which means this, He's not worried. He's not nervous. He's not sitting on the threshold of eternity twiddling His thumbs going, I sure hope that somebody comes to know me as some of you guys have been taught all your life. Oh, he's, he's done it. He has purified the sins of those who believe in Him. It's done. It's finished. And that's the scandal of the gospel, that He purified past tense. I'm going to say something. And I know, I know ahead of time that I will get an email or an invite to coffee that will open up with how's your day and then oddly turn somewhere else. <laughs> I get it. I know this is coming. Because somebody's going to be Troy, that sounds dangerous. But I think it's biblical. If he's the purifier of sins past tense, then if you're in Christ, he's covered your sins past, he's covered your sins present, and he's already covered your sins that you'll commit 40 years from now. That's the scandal of the gospel. That's why Romans 8 says this, There 
is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That's the glory of the Son. And something only He can promise. I prefer Edgar's when we meet, by the way. (laughs) He isn't wondering if revelation and redemption is complete. He's seated. He's sitting down. And he's smiling knowing that it is still finished. It's finished. And that's why works-based righteousness is so offensive to the Lord. I'll clean up my car, then the Lord will really love me. That's true. Somebody said that at a church not far away. What can you add that's better than what Christ has already done? Nothing. Nothing. That's the supremacy of Son. That's the voice of the Father. This is why relativism is so offensive to the Lord. Yes, Jesus, but there's got to be other ways for those people who are really working hard. That's why that's so offensive. It's either the Son or not the Son. That's why your friends balk at the exclusivity of Christ. That's why we as a church have had people leave our church because we will not bend from that. It is Christ alone from get to go. And people leave going, I just don't think that's loving. And I go, I don't get to to define what God has said in His Word. It is what it is. As C.S. Lewis said, either Jesus is a liar or he is a lunatic, or he is indeed, somebody tell me, the, the Lord. He's the Lord. And that's why relativism is so offensive. There is no other way. In Jesus, he has nothing more to give us, but we have a ton more to receive through Christ, both now and forevermore. So, unbeliever, as we wrap it up. Unbeliever... Why would you settle for anyone or anything else than the Son? Why would you settle? It's all in Jesus. I pray today that you see there's there's no one else like Jesus. Nobody. Nothing else like Jesus. If He's drawing you today through this text, hey, let Him overcome your resistance. Let today be the day of salvation. Repent of your sin. Believe in Christ's righteousness. Surrender to Him as Lord and Savior. Let today be the day that He not only reveals the fullness of Himself to you, but also restores your soul. Let it be today, unbeliever. And hey, unbeliever, we're glad you're here. I know, you made it through one week? Give it two more weeks. I'm begging you two more weeks. Two more weeks. And then we'll pin you down so you have to stay a fourth. Um, (laughs) Unbeliever, we love you. You're at a safe place here. Glad you're here. Contemplate Christ. Now, believers, what does this text say to us? Here's what it says. In mercy, He did not give us what we deserve. What we deserve is to be ignorant and to not know who He is. And in mercy, He didn't let us remain ignorant. Praise the Lord. That's His mercy. In grace, He gave us what we did not deserve, being revelation and redemption. He gave that to us all through Christ. That ought to make us run to the table in worship, and as they strike up the next song, I don't know what the next song is, we're going to sing Cornerstone at some point, and when we do that, we better lift the lid right off this place. It ought to make us explode in worship for who Christ is in gratefulness. And then in hope... He assures us, which is the context of the passage as a whole in the book of Hebrews, that persevering to the end is our greatest joy in life. That we are to persevere to the end. And I also want to admit, because I I feel like I need to do this. Church, I, I feel my sin every day. I feel it rising up all the time. I feel it nonstop. 
I feel my sin rising up when I wake up in the morning, when I get in the car, when I meet somebody, when I go to the gym, when I open my computer. I feel, I feel all those sins rising up just like you do. I feel the sin to overindulge. I feel it. I get it. And if this passage is true, and God has spoken to us through Son, it's worth the fight to wage war against those cravings. It's worth it. It's worth it. So church, Jesus is why we gather. Jesus is why we give. Jesus is why we sing. Jesus is why we serve. And Jesus is why we love. It's all about Jesus. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you for your text. It's so rich. It's so meaningful. And God, I know today was a lot. But man, I pray that anything in your word that compels us to worship Jesus more will be like honey to our tongue, but also like a seed planted by streams of water that blossoms and grows and takes deep root. And so, Lord Jesus, may you be our focus as we worship. May you be our focus when we leave here and go eat. May you be our focus when we hug our kids. May you be our focus when we work. Uh, When Monday rolls around here in a couple of hours, may you be our focus in all things. May you be our focus at the ballpark. May you be our focus, Lord, as we're sitting um, at our school desks. May you be our focus in all things. Lord Jesus, you are the great I am. You are the voice of the Father Almighty. And you call us friends. Praise you, Lord Jesus.